Well, I hope you uh, are ready to continue in our His Story series this week. And so I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 is where we're going to start out this morning, or where we're going to be today, um, as we begin our uh, journey through the remainder of the wisdom literature. Okay, So Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to discuss all 31 chapters today. And uh, for those of you who've been here, you know this is not something to be scared of. Uh, and so, uh, so let's, get, let's get moving. I want to I start by telling you a story, because I think quite easily we could say that the book of Proverbs is probably one of the most quoted and memorable books in the entire Old Testament, maybe even the entire Bible. Uh, when, you, when people uh, talk about, even some of you that I've talked to before the service, you, uh, you hear we're doing the book of Proverbs, and you told me about how uh, in your own devotional life that you'll read through the, you know, whatever chapter of Proverbs corresponds with the day of the month. So if it's today, it's the 10th. And so, uh, so you're going to read through, I mean, I'm sorry, is it today the 10th? No, it's the 8th. Goodness. Uh, I'm already living two days ahead. So uh, it, today's the 8th, then you'll read Proverbs chapter 8 today. Some of you, you've done that before, and that's a wonderful habit. And I think the reason that we love the book of Proverbs so much is because we associate it with uh, these little uh, wise one-liners, right, that are, that are easily memorable and that really apply to every area of life. And when I think about the book of Proverbs, I think of two, two stories specifically. The first one involves uh, this man. His name is Pastor. He's Pastor W.A. Criswell. He was uh, the pastor of First Baptist Dallas for over 50 years. And as he, uh, as he was going throughout his day one day, he had this woman come up to him with her husband. And she asked Dr. Criswell, she said, listen, I'm hoping you can settle a dispute uh, for me and for my husband. And just being very transparent, she said, I, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and he doesn't. And so Debbie Crystal looks at, at the man and just kind of says, well, is that an accurate depiction of what you believe? He's like, yeah, I just, yeah, I just have trouble believing that the Bible is true. He said, okay, well, he said, if I can prove to you that the words of the Bible are true, then will you believe it? And the man said, sure, you know, kind of thinking, well, you're not going to prove anything to me. And so as the man said, sure, all of a sudden, Dr. Criswell reached out and he grabbed the man's nose and he twisted it and the man's nose just started bleeding. And of course, this man shrieked in pain. He said, what are you doing? And he's like, I've just proven words of the Bible true to you. And he said, you haven't proven anything to me. You made my nose bleed. And then Dr. Criswell quoted to him Proverbs chapter 30, verse 33, for the churning of milk produces butter and twisting a nose draws blood. <laughs> True story. True story. Only Dr. Criswell could get away with that. But personally, I think about, uh, for many, you, you know, I was in seminary uh, in a local church and the pastor of that local church, Al Jackson, uh, he, he would, let's just say, strongly discourage us from uh, wearing shorts into the office, Right. And he would say, boys, I'm telling you, it's in the good book. The Lord does not delight in the legs of a man. <laughs> and I said, I mean, all of us were like, well, he's, he's kind of our, our teacher, so we're not going like, to confront him. That, surely that's not actually in the Bible. You know, he's just kind of being, saying that to be uh, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek. Well, then one day I'm reading in the, in the Psalms, and uh, sure enough, Psalm 147.10, His pleasure is not in the strength of a horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. Right? The wisdom literature is meant to be memorable and applicable 
to so many situations in life. Now, I'm not going to tell Brother Al, and don't you tell him either, that I think he's using that verse a little out of context, okay? But at the same time, uh, the fact of the matter is that the wisdom literature is memorable. And this section of the Bible that we're in, known as the, liter- uh, the wisdom literature, includes five different books. It includes the book of Job, the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. And the great thing is, is that the rest of this month, uh, beginning today, we're going to go through all of the books of Solomon. So today we're going to go through the book of Proverbs. Next week we're going to go through Ecclesiastes. And then finally, um, the second to last Sunday of the month, we're going to go, to, go through uh, the book of Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. And so we're, we're going to look today, though, at Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, verse chapter, I mean, through chapter 31. But before we jump in, right into the, this wonderful message of Proverbs, we need to remind ourselves of the purpose of wisdom literature in general, because it's very important that you understand the reason that these books are taken out of their chronological context, which is how we're doing them in, in, in chronological order, the reason they're taken out of their chronological context and put in one section called the wisdom literature section or the writings section is because they have a purpose in their arrangement. There's a purpose in their arrangement. And we've talked about that before, but let's remind ourselves of that. So the wisdom literature has these five books in them. And the book of Psalms and the book of Song of Solomon detail the two most important relationships in our life. Have you ever thought about it this way? That the book of Psalms celebrates our relationship with God in prayer and in hope. And then the book of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon celebrates the covenant marriage between a husband and a wife. Have you ever thought about it that way? But then you have these three books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the book of Job. And these uh, books all give us a different perspective about what the Bible would call the good life or the life according to God's design. And so our friends at the Bible Project, uh, they've helped us see that, that basically Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes are three different perspectives or, three different, or the good life from three different angles. Now, if you want to live a good life according to God's design on this earth, then the book of Proverbs gives us memorable, easily accessible wisdom on every area of life. It speaks to all areas of life, relationships, business, anger, alcohol, work ethic, debt, friendship, forgiveness, you name it. The book of Proverbs has it in there. However, one of the ways that Proverbs is misunderstood and that we need to say from the outset is that Proverbs are not promises. If you forget everything else that I say today, then remember this. And I would even encourage you to write this in your Bible. Write it right above the title in your Bible. Proverbs are not promises. And what happens is, is that when you treat Proverbs like promises, then you end up doing assault against the character of God. That's a pretty strong statement. But let me help you see what I mean, okay? So, uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. Hear this. And first, I want you to hear this as if it were a promise. Okay? You ready? Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. We'll thought experiment. Imagine if this were given as a promise. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. 
The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Now, what's the problem with that? I've known many people who feared the Lord and who lived short lives. <laughs> and I've known many people who were wicked to the core, and they lived long lives. When you turn that proverb that is generally true into a promise, then you end up looking at God and saying, What are you doing? Are you not going to fulfill your word? Here's maybe one that's a little bit more harder to embrace. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. We could all probably quote it from memory. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, what? He will not depart from it. Proverb or promise? Well, imagine it's a promise. And every single Sunday of your child's life, you have them in church. You try to model an excellent godly life for them. You do your best to instill biblical values in them. But there comes a point, and maybe even they make a profession of faith when they're younger, but that, there comes a point in that child's life where they begin to make wrong choices. And what we're going to see here is biblical wisdom puts you on a trajectory towards the good life. But foolishness, or going against biblical wisdom, wisdom takes that trajectory and points it away from the good life towards destruction. But you've done everything that you could do for this child to put them on the path of life. But what, what it all boiled down to was that they made a choice, and then maybe they made another choice, and in the context of those choices, they made another choice, and before they know it, you're looking at your child, you're looking at the life they're living, you're saying, I don't even know this child anymore. This may not be your story, but it definitely is other people's story that I've heard. And if you take Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 as a promise, then you look at God and you say, I fulfilled my end of the bargain, but you didn't. We cannot be casual with the Word of God. We must understand not just the words in it, but how to read it. We cannot turn Proverbs into promises. Listen, I've had arguments with pastors about this who said that they're standing on the promise of Proverbs chapter 22, 6 that their child is going to come back to the Lord. And my gentle rebuke is just simply this. You pray with all of your heart and you stand on the promise that God can change the heart. But that is not a promise and we do not need to convey it as such. Because God is never unfaithful to keep one of his, what? Promises. Have we not seen that? All throughout the Old Testament so far, have we not seen the faithfulness and the long-suffering and the steadfast love of the Lord towards his people, even though they're faithless, right? And yet God keeps his promises. He never gives up on his promises. There may be discipline. There may be correction. But God has covenant promises towards, the, towards his children, Israel. And he has not failed them once. Proverbs are not promises. 
Yes, fearing God and being a moral person will most likely lead to a better, longer life. Raising your kids in a stable, loving home does set them up well, but there are no guarantees because this world is broken, my friends. This world is utterly broken. We feel this every single day that this world is broken. And we do not need to interpret Scripture in a way that makes God the person who has perpetuated this brokenness because of his unfaithfulness. And he hasn't. But yet Proverbs defines for us the trajectory of Godward living, God-centered living, so that for those who would long to embrace wisdom, God has faithfully given wisdom so that they can walk on that path of life. But like we said, the world's broken, right? So sometimes the wicked prosper. Guess what the book of Ecclesiastes deals with? God, why, do the, why does the wicked prosper? And sometimes the righteous suffer. What's the book of Job about? Job being a blameless man before God, and yet he suffers intensely. So do you see how the wisdom literature is all meant to fit together? Proverbs give, gives you these general guidelines for how to live wisely in the sight of God, and then Ecclesiastes and Job deal with these exceptions to that rule. And so I hope you'll remember this as you read the book of Proverbs, that it, it's, it must be read in trilogy with the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Job. It's a simple picture, a simple guide about how to live according to God's design in God's world. And so let's do a quick overview, if you will, because there are two main sections to the book of Proverbs. And so you've got Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 open. And if you don't mind underlining in your Bible, underline Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of who? Of Solomon. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, if you want to, if you want to have some context here, you might not have it in your, in your Bible or in a footnote, right above Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, 1 Kings 4, 29 through 34. 1 Kings 4, cha uh, chapter 4, verse 29 through 34. I'm going to read it to you. It says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. Now, remember, 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon was approached by God, and God said, God said, ask me anything, and I'll do it for you. And Solomon asked for what? Wisdom, right? And so God bestowed upon him, him wisdom. And so 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through 34, are about the wisdom that Solomon had. In summary, it says, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and the breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005, right? So we just have Song of Solomon, right? Well, he has 1,004 other hits on Israel's top 1,005 that, uh, that, that we could read, but we don't have them. It says that he's—get this. We think Solomon's wisdom was just about life, but listen to this. He also spoke of trees— so he studied trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and reptiles and fish. And, and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who heard of this 
wisdom. And so Solomon was kind of a, a fountainhead of ancient wisdom in the world. And he was a, a collector and a compiler as well as, well as being a, as somebody who spoke wisdom. And so he compiled these different wise sayings, which is why in chapters 30 and 31, you don't have wisdom from Solomon, but you have wisdom from these two guys called Agur, A-G-U-R, and King Lemuel. And we'll get to them in a minute. But the fact is, is that Solomon compiled all of this wisdom and put it into the book of Proverbs because he wanted that wisdom, and ultimately God wanted that wisdom to come to us. And so Proverbs is also broken down into these two main parts, right? First one being Proverbs chapter 1 through 9. Well, now let's define proverb. A proverb, like we've said, is just a short, memorable saying about some topic, right? And so there's two main sections in the book of Proverbs. I had you underline uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, because it's Proverbs of Solomon. Now, underline Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, or put a little asterisk beside it or something like that. Because here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now, this is a theme we see throughout the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. It's not Proverbs as we typically think of them. It's not little one-liners. But instead, in Proverbs chapter 1 through 9, you have a father's heart being poured out to his son asking for him to embrace wisdom. And wisdom in the first nine chapters is personified as a woman. This woman who calls forth, this woman who, who, um, who is actually calling forth to people saying, come and follow me, come follow my precepts. All you who would listen, all you who would want wisdom and knowledge and insight, come and you can find it in me. Wisdom says that she is woven into the fabric of the universe. Kind of a universal moral law. Now, probably one of the greatest pieces of literature, it's, it's a book, but it's more like a pamphlet, it's an article maybe, uh, that I've read. Probably the best one that I've read that I had not ever read before, and some of you English teachers are going to be mad at me because I'm sure I had it assigned to me in high school. But probably one of the best pieces of literature that I've read this year is Martin Luther King's Letters from a Birmingham Jail. And the reason that Letters from a Birmingham Jail is so prolific, and it has stood the test of time, is because King, being in a Birmingham jail and having written uh, that treatise on these little pieces of paper and smuggled it out or sent it out and compiled into this article or, or pamphlet or book, the reason that he did that was because he had several uh, white ministers in Birmingham saying, hey, Dr. King, you're just doing this wrong. You don't need to come in here and protest. Listen, we're just following the law, right? Well, Dr. King, 50 years ago today, I mean, 50 years ago this past Wednesday, being assassinated in Memphis, Dr. King makes this appeal to these, uh, to these ministers in this uh, in this uh, section, and he talks about this moral law, this moral law that transcends human law. And this was the core idea of the civil rights movement. That essentially, and we see one of those quotes up there, that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. But specifically, that we have a moral responsibility to follow righteous laws but we also have a moral responsibility to disobey unrighteous laws. 
You remember the apostles there in the book of Acts saying, we must obey God rather than men. Sometimes men make unjust laws. And it's our responsibility to break those unjust laws. Because there is a universal moral law that governs over all of the man-made laws that exist in our world today. King alluded to this, and where did he get such an idea? From the book of Proverbs. Because in these first nine chapters, essentially what Solomon is saying, he's saying, listen, son. He says, there is this universally accessible wisdom, essentially, that God has written on the hearts of every single human being that has ever been alive. And if you want to to walk with God, if you want to experience the kind of life that God has you to experience, if you want to experience a life of, of, of satisfaction and a, a full life, then you seek to follow wisdom wherever she would lead you. And so these poems call for people to tap into this universally accessible wisdom in every area of their life. But then the second main section of the book of Proverbs. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. Now, some of you may have seen this distinction before in Scripture, but some of you may not have seen this. So chapters 1 through 9 are a father's instruction to his son to follow Lady Wisdom, and and they describe her in four poems. But then in chapters 10 through 29, you get Proverbs. And you see it, you can underline it in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. So here in chapter 10, we start the one-liners that have to do with every area of life. And this section contains hundreds of ancient Proverbs that apply wisdom to every life topic you can imagine. Family, work, neighborhood, relationships, marriage, money, anger, forgiveness, alcohol, debt, and they're all filtered through the value system of chapters 1 through 9. And so the book is a wonderfully cohesive unit that you can't read 10 through 29 without reading chapters 1 through 9, without understanding that that's what's happening in chapters 1 through 9, okay? And so when we're, we've been talking about this idea of wisdom but there's more to understand about the core of biblical wisdom that we, can't, we, we really can't continue to build in Proverbs without, without understanding this, okay? So wisdom, you need to know first of all, wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is not just knowledge. Now there's a difference between these two. And let me illustrate it uh, with something that happened to a famous geneticist named William French Anderson about 12 years ago. July of 2006, he was convicted of a very serious crime. And his attorney, in a post-sentencing press conference, right, when he's describing what's happened to this geneticist, this guy's attorney says this. He says, nothing about having a 176 IQ means you have good judgment. <laughs> Just think about that for a second. World-famous geneticist does something wrong, does something very foolish, right? Gets caught. And after he's already been convicted and sentenced, the attorney has a press conference and he says, listen, basically, this guy's really smart, but he was really dumb too. I mean, you hear that? So there's got to be a difference between wisdom and knowledge. 
There's got to be this distinction that we need to understand the difference between the two. And so one of the places we get this idea is Exodus chapter 21, uh, 31, verses 2 through 5. So in Exodus chapter 20, uh, 31, verses 2 through 5, the tabernacle is being built. And this is what God says to Moses. He says, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And hear what he says. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work every craft. So after he says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, he says, I filled him with wisdom. I filled him with wisdom. Now, it's, it's specific wisdom. It's wisdom of how to use gold, silver, bronze, and precious stones to accomplish the purpose that I have called him to, the building of the tabernacle. And so wisdom is not just information about, well, that's gold, that's silver, that's bronze. That's a precious stone. Knowing that information, really, okay, anybody can know that. But how to cut those stones and how to melt down that gold, silver, and bronze to fashion something according to God's design? Oh, now that takes something more than just knowledge. That takes wisdom. You see, God calls and gives wisdom. Wisdom, think about it as applied knowledge, right? Someone once said it this way, and I, I know this will resonate with you. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing that it doesn't belong in a fruit salad. Okay, let's say that again. I expected more out of you on that one. <laughs> knowledge, just knowing that a tomato is a fruit, okay, big deal. But wisdom is knowing that a tomato as a fruit does not belong in a fruit salad. That would just be nasty, y'all, right? You see the difference? You can know something about things. You can go to school and you can study and you can fill your mind with knowledge, right? But there's a difference between knowing those things and living out those things according to God's design. You see the difference? Now, young people, this is one of those things that I want to tell you. Don't just seek knowledge. Seek wisdom. Don't just seek knowledge. Seek wisdom. Because you can have 176 IQ and still be dumb. Right? So we should not just be about seeking knowledge, but we should be seeking wisdom. Because with wisdom, we tap into God's design to build a good life. Do you see the connection now? Some of you may not know this, but my, my wife told me during Sunday school that Ellick and Anna Clark celebrating today their what? 65th wedding anniversary. They're at home together. I hope they're watching. But... 65 years as a married couple. Now that takes a lot more than just knowledge, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't it? It takes wisdom to build that kind of marriage, right? Anita can tell you, I had a couple come to me this week or a, a man asking about a couple this week, hey, will you marry us today? No, I will not. Because you can't go into a marriage with just the knowledge that you want to get married. You need to go into marriage equipped 
with wisdom because the person who designed marriage has certain guidelines about how you build a good marriage. And I don't want to have anything to do with somebody who's not interested in knowing God's guidelines for a good marriage. We want to equip people with wisdom to build a good life, to build good marriages, to build good families, to build good businesses. And the beautiful thing about Proverbs is what, what areas are off limits to God's wisdom? None of them. That's why Proverbs talks about wisdom in all of these different areas is because God has a will for you to live for his glory in these areas. And so build a good life according to this wisdom because your choices determine your direction. And walking in wisdom will set you on a path of life. But walking against wisdom, what the Bible calls walking in foolishness, that sets you on a path of destruction. And so what do you want, parents, for your kids? Do you want just information? Or do you want wisdom? What do you want spouses? For you? What do you want for your, for your spouse? Do you want them to just have information? Or do you want them to have wisdom, right? Teachers, what do you want for your kids to have? Which I love, I love all the teachers in this room because I know this from your heart. You don't want them just to have information. You want them to have wisdom for life. That's why it's about so much more than just the classroom, isn't it? Business owners, as you come into contact with people, Throughout the week, what do you want them to have? Just information about insurance, right? Information about assisted living, information about all these different areas. You want them to have wisdom about how God has a desire for their life. We should be a people who are continually trumpeting wisdom. And the beautiful thing is, is that God has made his wisdom memorable so that we can do just that. But how do we find wisdom? How do we find wisdom? While, while some wisdom is accessible to all people, the doorway to real wisdom about God's design for life begins with a very specific attitude in a very specific place. And you can turn to Proverbs chapter 9, uh, verse 10, since you should be there. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you're, you're here today, and you're hearing, oh, yeah, okay, this sounds really, I want this wisdom, right? Ryan, I want this good life you're talking about. I want to, I want to walk on this path of life. I want, to, I want to build a family. I want to build a marriage. I want to find the kind of spouse that, that God wants me to have. I, I, yes, Ryan, I want all these things. I want this wisdom in my life. Where do I start? Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the doorway to real wisdom about how God wants to build your life. You see, to fear the Lord doesn't mean to be scared of Him or to be terrified that He'll destroy you. Rather, the fear of the Lord means that your first choice is to submit to His definition of life. You submit to His definition of life. You declare that He is Lord, and I am not. And this has been the consistent choice throughout the Old Testament. And this is where, we, where I love this, because we get to bring the entire Old Testament thus far together. Right? What did Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden for? For abandoning life according to God's design and choosing their own way. So they're kicked out of the garden. For choosing to define life their own way. And Israel... They go and they're delivered from Egypt by the power of God. And God takes them to Mount Sinai. 
And what does God do? God gives them a covenant. Why? So that they can be shaped into the kind of people that God wants them to be. So that they can look at what it means to live under God's blessing. God gives them this law because he says, I want you to be my people. I want you to look like my people. But do they look like his people as they're going throughout the wilderness in the book of Numbers? No, they don't. Why? Because they chose to define life on their own terms. Then we get to the book of Joshua, right? Joshua, they experience some victory once again, just like their previous generation. They see the power of God at work uh, in, in helping them to achieve these victories. But then they get comfortable, right? And they don't follow God's command to the T. They have this just kind of half-hearted obedience, which is what? Defining obedience on my terms rather than on God's terms. And so in doing that, they choose destruction. There comes the book of Judges, which is what? Just a massive downward spiral into moral relativism. Right? Which is what? I get to choose life my way. I get to have it my way. I get to, I get to do things the way that I want to do them. And everything's just going to be all right. And God, all throughout, has said, no, this is life or death. And you make this choice today. You hear this choice today, and you make this choice today. You either choose to follow me, or you choose to walk away from me. You either choose life, or you choose death. You choose for my presence to be with you, or you choose to be exiled away from my presence, which is where we're going next month as we get into the prophets. You see, this choice has been the consistent pattern all throughout the Old Testament. Will you heed wisdom... Or will you try to manufacture your own wisdom? And as good as it looks, and as fancy as it sounds, it reeks of death and destruction. You may be able to play the game and let everybody around you think that, hey, I'm living my wisdom. I'm making choices and everything's going fine. But you can't run on the inside. And the ultimate fruit of your life, you can't run from it because that is the thing about wisdom. You can't escape the consequences of either, of either following wisdom or walking against wisdom. You can't escape it. You know why? Because there's a moral law of the universe that God has woven suffering into all of our sins so that we know that there's no life there. God loves us so much that even the moral fabric of the universe that he's trying to tell us, choose life, walk with me. You were designed to walk with me. You want wisdom. I've got wisdom. So walk in this wisdom. And that's what we get when we see Job. Job responds correctly. Even after all of these questions, Job, in the end, he says, you know what, God, you're right. You're God, and I'm not. I'm not, I, 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 can't, I can't do this on my own, so I'm going to surrender to you because I was made to know your presence and your goodness. In the book of Psalms, we see wisdom fleshed out that God is worthy of praise and that we will find his blessing by trusting in him and filling our minds with the word of God and seeking to apply it. Well, how do we apply it? Book of Proverbs. <laughs> you see how it all fits together? You see, ultimately, to fear the Lord means to be in a personal relationship with God through Jesus. You see, wisdom's not a thing. What's wisdom? It's a person. Christ 
who came to us as the wisdom of God. He wasn't resurrected just to be celebrated on Easter. <laughs> he rose from the dead because he wants you to have personally his wisdom unleashed into your life as you walk in the spirits who raised him from the dead every single day. But fearing the word also means that you, that you submit to the wisdom of the community of godly people. It's called the church. That you don't find, your, find wisdom in your life just by sitting at home reading your Bible. You realize that? A lot of Christians have been taught something like that. You've been sold a bill of goods. That's not true. We need each other. I need the wisdom of God poured into my life through like our deacons meeting on Thursday night where I felt like I was just in this room of wisdom and just standing in awe of God because we, we have godly men who you've elected as leaders of this church. I need them. And even though it, it perplexes me, God said, you need me. <laughs> and when you sit in a Sunday school room and you go through the Bible and you talk about life, wisdom is meant to be passed back and forth. We need each other, right? Wisdom's not just found in your, in your house with your Bible open, as great as that sounds. We need the church of God, the community of faith, because in submitting to these two things, to Jesus with wisdom as a person and to the body of Christ with wisdom found together, that's what fear of the Lord looks like, and that's how God shapes us into the kind of people that we need to be. And just so really quick, we have these two chapters at the end. You can turn to them, Proverbs 30 and 31. Let me just summarize them for you real quick, right? Because here's what you have. You have the entire book of Proverbs saying, follow wisdom, follow wisdom, follow, follow wisdom, and it will make the simple wise. It will take a simple man. It will take a, a simple man and turn him into a man who makes decisions to glorify God. And there you have Agur, who is just that man. We don't know anything about him. He's an ordinary, common guy who did what? Followed the wisdom of God. And you can read what happened to him. Read the Proverbs. We read the wisdom that he learned because he did just that. But then you have Proverbs 31, which I know it's not Mother's Day. We typically just talk about it on Mother's Day. But what do you have in the beginning of the book of Proverbs? You have a father telling his son to heed his instruction and his mother's wisdom. And in Proverbs 31, you have King Lemuel saying, this is what I learned from my mama, a wise woman that she was. And he takes the entire Hebrew alphabet and Proverbs 31 is an acrostic. Each line begins with a, a, a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And he's saying, my mom's influence on me was so great because she was a wise woman. She followed the Lord. This is what that wise woman looks like. It's not just wisdom for kids. It's not just wisdom for pastors. It's not just wisdom for senior adults. It's not just wisdom for men. It is wisdom for us all. Story to end with. On the Linux globe map that was done in the 1500s, 
This was, if you remember your history, this was during the time that the known world was being explored. They were pushing the boundaries, right? You had all these different explorers going out. And they'd come back and they'd, they'd try to compile their knowledge in a map, right? But there was always limitations because they hadn't all been around the world, right? And so here where this arrow points are these Latin words. And you know what those Latin words say? This is on a globe now. It's on the, the Linux globe, Linux map. It says, here there be dragons. <laughs> now, there weren't really dragons there. But they put it there because they said, we don't know what lies beyond this part of the ocean. It could be dragons, right? Do you know that when you humbly submit to the wisdom of God's Word, to the wisdom of Proverbs, the wisdom of the entirety of God's Word, that there's no part of your life that hasn't been explored before? Because the same God that wove you together in your mother's womb, that knows the number of your hairs on your head, the same God who ordained the day of your birth and also knows the day of your death, the same God that wove together your personality and your giftedness, the same God who extended to your, to your calling, the same God that puts you in the family that you were raised in, the same God that, that knows what tomorrow looks like for you, that in the same way that he called all these people to heed wisdom, is the same God that is calling you to heed wisdom and choose life and walk on the path of life today with him. You see, there's no part of your life that God doesn't know. There's nothing hidden from him. Your tomorrow, there's no confusion with God. With us, there absolutely is. You don't even know what decision is going to come your way this afternoon. This, this, this afternoon, you could face a decision that determines the next 10 years of your life. Do you realize that? Why do we need to walk in the wisdom of God for things such as this? So what am I saying? Say yes now. Commit to be a wise person now and not a foolish person. Are you walking on the solid rock of God's wisdom? Or are you deceiving yourself, walking on sand, saying, oh, it'll last a little bit longer. It'll last a little bit longer. It's not going to happen to me like it happened to them over there where the ground just went out from underneath them. Maybe you know somebody who's in that same situation. The answer is not to take your Bible and go smack them over the head with the wisdom of God, right? <laughs> That's not the way to operate. But what do you do? You draw near. You love them. You pray fervently for them. And you model the wisdom of God before them. You see, God doesn't want you just to retain wisdom, but he wants you to overflow wisdom so that people will see Christ in you. My friends, that's what we celebrated this past Sunday, and that's still the truth that we celebrate today. Let's pray together.